He is risen. Amen, amen, amen. Man, I was looking around the room uh, while we were worshiping, and I don't know what it was, but the Baylor grads were all like jumping up and down, shouting. I know it's Resurrection Sunday, but come on, y'all. Tone it down. I'm just kidding. Um, Had God designed the world, it would not be a world as frail and faulty as we see. Those words were uttered, a translation by Clive Staples Lewis, who was an English professor at Oxford and later at Cambridge. Uh, For many of us, we know him as C.S. Lewis. His friends knew him as Jack. And basically what he was saying was, if there really is a God who designed this world, why why is there so much pain? Why is there so much fault and frailty in our world? And at the age of 15, while he was in high school, what they call preparatory school, he became an atheist. Uh, four years later, during World War I, and we've all heard this war, there is no atheists in foxholes, but he became a soldier in the British Army, fought on the front lines, and remained an atheist. About 12 years later, through a relationship with another professor, he came to faith in Christ. But uh, the story of his life, a play in the movie, is called The Reluctant Convert. And again, many of it was, most of it was because he saw the fault and frailty and the problems and troubles in our world, that if there really is a good God, a loving God, then why do we see all these things? And perhaps you're here today uh, on this Sunday morning wondering why, as Christians, we gather to celebrate the resurrected Savior, why we come to be radically focused on Jesus Christ. And it has to do with that problem, the problem of the fault and frailty of our world, the troubles that we have in this world. So perhaps you've come today seeking some answers, so I'm glad you've come. Perhaps you've come today uh, because your mom or your uncle said, hey, after this, we're going to taste the Texas, and you're like, hey, let's get this over with. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about today, we've called the sermon Only Jesus, Only Jesus, and it comes from Daniel chapter 9, and this is why we celebrate the resurrection, because there are certain things that you and I can do, we can restore, we can fix in our broken world, in our broken lives, in our broken relationships But there's other things that only Jesus can restore. And so we're going to look at Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. We're going to key on really just verse 24. For those of you who come regularly, who are used to me going through longer sections of Scripture, we're just going to look at really one passage today. Is that Brent Chin back there? Oh, my goodness. UH grad alum. Man, all right. Alum president here. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. And this section of scripture has been called by um, Sir Isaac Newton, the mathematician and scientist, the foundation stone of the Christian religion. This, this verse right here, or this section. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 says this. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the wrongdoing, to make an end of sin to make atonement for guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So in this one verse, we're going to find six things that only Jesus offers, only Jesus can restore. And what they're going to do is give us something for today, like right now, whatever you're facing at work and home or in your, in your career, whatever, wherever you are as a student Three things that you can deal with like right now, bring in today, the significance of Jesus. And then secondly, something that's going to help you both today, but also tomorrow. 
And then finally, something that's going to have benefit for tomorrow. So in this one verse, we're going to find that. So first off, he says 70 weeks, and literally the word is seven, 70 sevens. And it's this word that can mean anything from days to months to weeks to even years. And most likely in this context, in uh, Daniel chapter 9, he's been praying and he's been talking about the seven years of captivity. He's turning to Jeremiah and realizes that we're going to be in captivity for seven years. So the context would suggest it's not days or weeks. It's literally talking about years, seven-year periods. We talk about decades. They would use seven-year periods because at the seventh year, they would keep this sabbatical year, the land of rest. And so he's talking about this 70 times seven, 490 years. And then in verse 25, he talks about 483 years. And this is why it's significant is because he says, as soon as the rebuilding, which we've just studied in Nehemiah, as soon as the rebuilding and restoration of Jerusalem begins, 483 years later, Messiah is going to come. Jesus Christ is going to come. And some have even calculated to the exact day that Jesus Christ on Palm Sunday, last Sunday, came and made his triumphal entry 483 years after the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. And this is what this Messiah has come to offer. First, in verse 1, he says, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the wrongdoing, to finish the wrongdoing. Now, notice in the text, he's writing to your people, to the Jews and your city, Jerusalem. And I don't know if you've got a Jewish background, but here we are in Houston, Texas, not Jerusalem. And most of us are Gentiles. So you're saying, if this is written to an address to Jews in Jerusalem, how does this apply to us? Well, because we get the benefits of the things promised to the Jews. We get the benefits of something God did for the children of Israel, now as God's children, the church. Much like this, uh, our older daughter, I think, is going to be at the 11 o'clock service, uh, and she's home from college, and she graduated college three years, and uh, she played volleyball for those three years as well, and we traveled a bunch. She got recruited by several schools, so we went to Tennessee, we traveled, uh, I don't remember all the places, but whenever we traveled, we brought along her little sister. Her little sister is still in high school, and so on those days, she actually got to miss school, travel with us. Whenever the coaches would take us out to dinner or lunch, she would be there as well. So she got to enjoy the benefits of something her older sister got to enjoy. And here, we get to enjoy the benefits as well. And the first thing we enjoy is, number one, to finish the wrongdoing. To finish the wrongdoing. And that word there in true translations, most of them is transgression, or it can be translated even rebellion. And it's an end to the specific rebellion against God. We no longer are enemies of God. We can now be friends with God. We have ended the rebellion. Jesus Christ, only Jesus came to offer the end to that. He says also in verse 24, secondly, to make an end of sin, to make an end of sin, or to end the power of sin. And this is the other issue, is that the Jews and the rebellion disobeyed God. He says, now we're gonna even squash that. We're gonna end that. Now you and I have the ability to obey God. The power of sin is no longer has dominion or power over us. And that's Romans chapter six. He says, the one who's died in Christ, that sin has no power on him. You are no longer a slave to sin. So he says, the second thing is that only Jesus can do is make an end to sin. And then he says, the third thing is this, to make atonement for guilt, to make atonement for guilt. That word atonement is the Hebrew word kippur, from which we get Yom Kippur, the high holy day of the Jewish faith. And Yom Kippur means a day of atonement. So every year in the fall, the Jews would have Yom Kippur, 
which would make a sacrifice, and they would say, God, forgive us for our sins, and they would say, it's going to cover us now for the next year. We'll come back a year from now. And what Jesus is saying is, I have come, so you don't need a Yom Kippur anymore. You don't need a Day of Atonement. You have everlasting atonement. If you place your faith in me, you can be forgiven, period, everlasting. So that's the three things that Jesus came to offer. He came to offer uh, the end of transgression, make an end of sin, and atone for guilt. So here's point number one. So this is what you can enjoy today through faith in Jesus. Only Jesus can restore a relationship with God because he offers reconciliation. Only Jesus can restore a relationship with God, a holy God, a perfect God, because he offers reconciliation. He offers reconciliation. And by looking at this, you're saying, you know, he talks about it, it, it's finished, it's an end, and Jesus even said on the cross, it is finished. What about this issue of forgiveness? Well, he offers that forgiveness, but that forgiveness leads to reconciliation. My wife and I are doing a merge. We're working with merge, uh, engaged and dating couples who are getting ready for marriage. And one thing we talked about last night was that, that as a spouse, as a husband or wife, you can forgive your husband, you can forgive your wife, but that does not necessarily mean reconciliation. And so that forgiveness should lead to reconciliation. How many married couples have been there where you forgive your wife or husband, right? But it still takes some kissing and making up to reconcile, see eye to eye with one another. And that's what Jesus Christ offers. He died so that we can be reconciled to God. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of talk recently about racial justice, social justice, biblical justice. And that's all rooted in this, is the fact that God is a just God. God is a just God. Psalm 89, 14 says God's throne. There's these two beams or pillars. It says righteousness and he says justice. Righteousness means that God has a standard of right and wrong based on his divine character, his divine law. And he says justice is now the application of that. And this is what it means. It means that every time that you and I sin, we sin against a holy and perfect God. And because of that, there is something that's owed. Because of that, there's a consequence it's like this. If you do something wrong against somebody, let's say you're going to meet at Taste of Texas in your reservation for noon today, and you come late, you say to yourself, I owe them an apology. I owe them something. You know that whenever you violate, hurt, disobey somebody, you owe them something. And because we violate God's perfect standard, his law, we owe God. We're indebted to God. But here's the bad news. None of us in here can pay for that. But Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, he paid a price that he didn't have to pay because we had a debt uh, that he, he, he had a debt that he didn't owe. We had a price that we couldn't pay. He paid that price. Uh, two years ago, I know this sounds weird. Two years ago uh, at Morehouse College in Atlanta University, a historically black college, the speaker, the graduation speaker was Robert F. Smith, billionaire Robert F. Smith. And as he was sharing these wise words to the graduate of Morehouse College, in the middle of his speech, he said this. He says, now to everyone here, I pray that you have a, just a great and prosperous future, a great career, that you've learned something here at Morehouse. But I know some of you are leaving Morehouse with student loan debt. And what I've decided to do today is I will pay your student loans. And so that's what he did. Robert S. Smith said after this. <laughs> I was like, it wasn't that funny, but all right. Now, now I see, yeah. So, so imagine you being in graduation, the, the class, having student loans at 10, 20, 30, 40, 80,000 dollars, and the billionaire speaker up front, Robert F. Smith, says, "I will pay your debt." Robert Smith did nothing to, to have that debt on him. 
It's something because you chose to do. You chose to bring that debt. And he says, I will pay that debt. Out of my vast resources, I will pay that bet. And I'll bet you now, Robert F. Smith is probably the most highly requested graduation speaker probably now. <laughs> come to our school, come to our school. Baylor wants you, right? Come to our school. Jesus, out of his vast resources of grace, love, and mercy, has said to all of us, any of us, regardless of our background, you have a sin debt. You owe a holy God and you cannot pay it. But Jesus Christ says on the cross, it is finished. I have paid the price. Everything that needs to be done to fulfill God's requirement has been done by me. You only have to say, I'm in debt and I'm, I'm willing. I want you to pay it for me simply by faith in Christ. So again, Jesus Christ offers this thing, reconciliation. Not only forgiveness, he offers reconciliation. But then in the middle of verse 24, he says this. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and this is what that's talking about. He's talking about one day Jesus Christ will come visibly, physically back to this earth. He will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And in his reign, there will be everlasting righteousness for a thousand years. Those of us in this room who've been faithful to God will one day come and rule and reign with him. It will be what's called the millennial kingdom. The king will be ruling from Jerusalem. And you're saying, that's great. That's like way off from now. How does that benefit me today? This is why. That if you place your faith in Jesus Christ and then you say, Jesus, you're not only my savior, but you're also my Lord. You're my king. And I submit every area of my life to you. Little by little, day by day, my financial life, my moral life, my sexual life, my family life, my marriage. If I submit all that to you, you will enjoy a little bit of that kingdom right now. Even in our broken, faulty, failing world, even with all your dysfunction and mess, you can enjoy that kingdom life right now if you will submit to him. And that's what he offers. Second thing is this, today and tomorrow, only Jesus can restore life in a broken world because he offers life. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I've come that they may have life and life more abundantly. It's the abundant life. The Hebrew term is shalom, which means wholeness or wellness. He says, when you submit to Jesus Christ, you can experience, even in our broken world, even with all your dysfunctions and pain, he says, you can enjoy Life as God designed it to be, even though that's not yet. This daughter of mine uh, who graduated in three years, three years, played volleyball three years, was their RA for two years. She told me, she said, Dad, I could have actually graduated college in two years. And you're wondering, how does a girl graduate college in two years or three years doing all that? And the reason why is this, write this down, parents, because of dual credit classes. So when she was still in high school, when she was still in high school, she had the opportunity to do AP and dual credit. Our younger daughter did AP classes and dual credit as well. And what that means is uh, Alvin Community College, the school district that we were in, Alvin School District, Alvin Community College would come to their high school and set up a classroom. And while they were still in high school, they got to take college classes. They had actual college professors. They took college classes and they got dual credit, both grades in high school, but also credit for college. And so by the time my daughters got to college, they both were at sophomore level. They had saved the year because while they were still in high school, they took dual credit classes. And that's what Jesus is offering when he offers life, that one day there's going to be the millennial kingdom. There'll be a kingdom where Jesus Christ comes to rule and reign. But he says, right now, even though we're not there yet, right now in this life, in this broken world, he says, if you will submit to Jesus as your king, you can enjoy dual credit blessings. 
All the stuff that's promised tomorrow, you can enjoy some of it right now. And I, I, I bet my bottom dollar on this, I bet there's some marriages right now. There's some parents right now with kids. I bet there's some single folks right now who are saying, I could sure use a little of that kingdom life right now, the way God designed life to be lived. So he offers, and Jesus is the only one can do this, he offers to restore life. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much education you have, the doctors you have, the oncologists you have, only Jesus can restore life as God designed to be lived. The last two things. He says this in uh, verse 24. To seal up vision and prophecy. First thing, to seal up vision and prophecy. What does that mean? He says, since the dawn of time, God has revealed himself and his will through the prophets. He's shared the vision and they've seen what God is gonna do, both as a warning, but also to encourage and give us hope. And he says, but there's gonna be a day when that's all sealed up. It's all gonna end. Why? Because everything that God has ever promised and proclaimed will be fulfilled and there will no longer be a need for visions and prophecy. One day in heaven, this is a joke amongst worship leaders and preachers, there are no preachers in heaven. There's no prophets in heaven because everything God wants us to know, we're gonna experience this. God will be right there. But there's gonna be worship leaders in heaven because that's all we'll do. We'll worship 24, seven, 365. Because everything that God has said, God, this is me, this is my will, this is my plan, in heaven, he'll be right there. And so that's gonna be all sealed up. Everything will be fulfilled. And then he says this, to add to that, and to anoint the most holy place. The very end there, to anoint the most holy place. The most holy place was the temple. And what he's talking about is one day there's gonna be this eternal kingdom, a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. Revelation 21, 22 says it this way, in this new Jerusalem, in the old Jerusalem, there's a temple. But in the new Jerusalem, there's not gonna be a temple. There's not gonna be a physical building. Why? Because the one who sits on the throne and the lamb, Jesus Christ, they are the temple. You don't need to go to a place anymore to worship God. God is gonna be there with us. So here's the last thing that only Jesus offers. Only Jesus can restore all things totally and completely because he offers hope. That's tomorrow. So today, he offers reconciliation with God because only Jesus can offer that. Today and tomorrow, he offers life. Life in this broken world, but life in the kingdom. And then tomorrow, only Jesus can restore all things totally and completely. New heaven, new earth. Everything that God ever said would happen is gonna be fulfilled. Only Jesus can offer that and he offers us hope. Uh, I, I just, and this is, I'm not trying to be a drama king or anything. It's been a very rough week, and I, I didn't know if I was gonna be standing before you all this morning. So about a week and a half ago, I was helped, asked to help officiate a funeral for a member of the church I used to pastor, and they were almost like a grandmother and grandfather to my family. So Sister Fontenot, if you're watching, God bless you, we're praying for you. And it was a military funeral. We were at the National Cemetery and, and we were there and it was just really heavy on my heart. I came home the rest of the day and I was just heavy. I took the day off, just really, just a heavy, heavy heart. Thankful that Brother Fontenot knew the Lord, but still miss him. And then on Sunday, after our worship gathering on Palm Sunday, I was asked by the Asian American Christian Collaboration, a group of Christian Christians or of Asian descent to come and pray at this prayer gathering we had on Sunday afternoon. 
uh, Julie Chang was there as well, and Martin Chang was there as well, some uh, part of our family here, and they asked me to come and do the prayer of confession and repentance. And right before my time was a time of lament. And so they had some Asian American sisters in Christ pray in their native languages, in Korean, in in, uh, Vietnamese, and uh, I think Cantonese or Mandarin. And as they were praying, most of them couldn't finish their prayer. I, I didn't understand what they were saying because they were so sad and grieving and in pain. And my heart went from just like kind of clueless of why I was here to just grieving with them. So imagine having done a funeral on Thursday and now sitting here on Sunday. I get up early Monday morning. I'm in my office across the street here getting some work done for this morning. I'm preparing, I'm praying. And then all of a sudden I get an email from one of our elders, a former elder at City Refuge saying, hey, this brother has passed as well. He was a father He was a refugee from the Congo, Rwandan genocide, came to the U.S. He passed away of lung cancer, leaves behind several kids and grandkids, and and my world was rocked. So again, on the heels of Thursday, Sunday afternoon, and now Monday, and all of a sudden, a heaviness came on my heart. A cloud formed over my head, and I don't know if you've ever been there before. And I went from just very optimistic and full of joy to saying, just grieving. And I texted the elders at Spring Branch, and I said, hey, hey, guys, I'm going to go home. Like, I just, I just, I can't. And I remember going home and I just bawled my eyes out, just weeping and lamenting and just, just for these families. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. And if you're there today, if you're, if you're in need of hope, and I, I told our staff and our elders, I said, that's why I need Resurrection Sunday probably more than anybody else. This sermon, I'm just preaching to myself. Y'all just eavesdropping. It's because... Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, those believers who go home to be with the Lord, he says, we grieve over them. We miss them. Our hearts are heavy. We have grief and anxiety and pain, but we have hope. We have the hope of eternity. We have hope that this life is not the end of the story. Uh, When we first moved to Houston, uh, my wife and I, we rented an apartment. Actually, we, anyway, our first living situation, first kind of on our own was an apartment. How many of y'all live in an apartment? Any apartment dwellers, if you live in an apartment? How many have like bad apartment neighbors? Anybody have like bad apartment neighbors? So we moved in this older apartment and our house that we were moving into was being built. It's an older apartment. First couple of weeks we were there, I remember going to bed and then laying down with my wife and I could hear in the ceiling above us like footsteps, little rustling things. And I'm like, babe, I think we got mice or rats in our, in our apartment. And she said, oh man, she said, I hope like in the middle of the night, one of them doesn't go through the air conditioning duct and fall on our bed, right? But we could, you could hear these little mice and rats scurrying about in our little roof and area. I was taking my daughters, uh, I think to school one day and it was raining and we could see the mice and rats running along the gutters and up and down the side of the buildings. And I'm like, man, we do have a mice problem. And I think I reported to our manager. And and I love a good home stereo. I'm an audiophile. I love a good home theater system. Got my own little subwoofer and stuff, but I think there's limits to that. So we were on the third floor, and on the second floor or first floor, one of our neighbors had a subwoofer. And I don't mind you watching movies at like 6 p.m., 7 p.m., 9 p.m., even 10 p.m. But your subwoofer and basin and all that at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m., that's a little much. And so here we were in this little apartment, Mice in the roof and attic and stuff. And we had this loud subwoofer, you know, boom, 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 two or three in the morning. And we were miserable at times. It was a bad experience. 
But you know what? We had hope. Because we knew that about a mile and a half away, a builder was building our new house. And because we knew a house was being prepared for us, we knew that this apartment, as miserable as it was, was not our permanent situation. It was a temporary situation because a house is being built for us. You can put that last slide up. And we moved into this house about a year later. And so we knew that our situation was temporary and we had hope. And you all, I don't know if you're like me. You're saying, Icky, I've had just a rough week. Like this Holy Week has been rough. The last month, this whole thing about COVID has been a rough COVID season. I've got a cloud over me. I feel anxiety in my heart. But here's the thing. You and I can have hope because Jesus Christ said, the resurrected King has said, he says to us, I go to prepare a place for you. He says, you can have hope in this life because this is not the end of the story. I go to prepare a room, a place in my mansion for you if you put your faith in Christ. And so we too can have hope and only Jesus offers hope. And it's also the hope of the resurrection. Every believer who passes, 1 Corinthians 15 says, Jesus is our promise and our preview. Just like Jesus resurrected, 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent with the, from the bodies and be present with the Lord, but one day we'll have glorified bodies. No more cancer, no more diabetes, no more sickness, no more tears and no more pain. And Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And this life, whether you live 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, 90, even 120 years, compared to eternity is like that. It's but a vapor. So only Jesus offers hope. That word anoint is the Hebrew word Messiah, from which we get the English word Messiah, the Hebrew Messiah. He says, one day the Messiah will be that holy place. He himself will be the one that we worship. Here's the big idea for today. Here's the big idea for today. Only Jesus restores what we cannot restore. We celebrate Easter, the resurrection, because only Jesus restores what we cannot restore. Nehemiah restored the walls. He restored the economy. He restored worship, but he could not restore reconciliation with God. He could not restore life, and he could not restore hope. Only Jesus restores what you and I, no matter how much money you have or don't have, no matter your education, I don't care who your oncologist is, only Jesus can restore what none of us in here can restore. I need to confess something to you. Um, a couple weeks ago, I lied to you. I deceived you. It wasn't intentional. I shared about how I came to faith in Christ. The guy who shared the gospel with me was Doug. His dad was an auto shop teacher, and I shared about how there was a beat-up 57 Chevy that they got. They redeemed, and they restored it to, like, its original quality. I lied about that because I remember that there were many parts that they could not find for this 57 Chevy. And they actually got a small block Chevy engine and put it in. So the original engine wasn't even in there. The original wheels, they changed out for some mag wheels. So it was not restored to its full what it was originally. But if you ever come across a Ferrari, if maybe you an uncle, passes down to you a 30, 40-year-old Ferrari. Maybe it's a barn find. You're out one day and you go to grandma and grandpa's barn and find this old rusted out Ferrari. There's something that Ferrari offers that you and I just can't do. We can give it a good wax job. We can wash it. Maybe take it to a shade tree mechanic. But Ferrari offers this. Say it with me. Ferrari Classique. 
It's a division of Ferrari that if you have a Ferrari that's older than 20 years, you've done everything you can to try to restore this Ferrari to its original condition, what you can do is you go to your local Ferrari dealer and say, here's my 1984, here's my 1973, here's my 1967 Ferrari. They will take that, take detailed photos of that, all the serial numbers, all the VIN numbers, and then they will ship that to Italy. And then Enzo Ferrari, the father of Ferrari, his last living son, Piero Ferrari, right, will personally oversee the full restoration of that Ferrari from top to bottom, original tires, original wheels, original interior. They've got the manual and they've got the parts. And here's the thing, if they don't have the parts in stock, they will manufacture the part for you custom. And so what they will do is they will restore your beat up Ferrari to its original condition. And only Ferrari can do that. But here's the catch. It costs like $100,000 to $500,000. Can I give you some good news? I don't know how broken, bruised, and dysfunctional your life is, your parenting is, your life situation is, your marriage is. But Jesus Christ is our creator And he says, you know what? I will bring you back. The father says, you come to Jesus. My son will personally oversee restoration. Jesus Christ will restore a relationship with God the father. He will reconcile you to him. Jesus Christ will restore your life in our broken and messed up world. He'll restore your life little by little by little as you submit to him. And only Jesus Christ restores hope. And here's the good news. You and I don't have to pay the price because Jesus Christ paid the price for us. Let's pray. Master, on this Resurrection Sunday, as we celebrate the risen Savior and King Jesus Christ, God, I do pray for any here today, perhaps they came just wanting a free lunch after the worship gathering. Perhaps they came because it's just a family tradition. Perhaps they came already with walls built up. But God, today... I pray your spirit would be working in their hearts. And I pray today that they place their faith in Jesus Christ. Because as we've seen, this prophesied one who would come 483 years after the rebuilding of Jerusalem, Gabriel came to Daniel as he was praying, moved by Daniel's prayer, 550 years before the birth of Christ and said, the Messiah is coming. The anointed one, the selected one, the chosen one is coming. And only Jesus offers reconciliation with the perfect and holy God. Only Jesus offers life as you have designed it to be. And only Jesus offers us hope. Because God, we know that we live in a broken world. And Jesus said, in this world you have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So God, you give us hope, living hope in Jesus Christ. So I pray today, we today that that person who's here who thought they were coming just for free lunch, just to dress up nice and take a few photos, today would be the day they place their faith in Christ. God, I pray for those like me who are grieving, who are in pain, who are riddled with anxiety, 
God, who are looking for hope, who are looking for life. God, as we submit to, to our loving Savior, our King, God, would you give us that through the Holy Spirit, God? And God, I pray that Resurrection Sunday would not just be today, but God, that message of our resurrected King would be on our lips, would be seen through our lives, God. That people would see through our lives, we have been reconciled to a holy God. We have life and we have an eternal living hope, as it says in 1 Peter. Would people see that in our lives, God? And we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come on up to my left and right. Uh, if there's something you need prayer for today or if you've placed your faith in Christ, uh, you're saying today, I wanna place my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're available up front to pray with you, answer any questions you may have. Also uh, on our app, the Bayou Fellowship app, if there's a prayer request that you have, we would love to pray with you and for you. Or if you've placed your faith in Christ, Please hit that and say, hey, I put my faith in Christ. We would love to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ.